Hi, and welcome to Serious About Sustainability, a podcast series brought to you by Mitsubishi Electric's Ikadan Air Source Heat Pump. I'm Max Halliwell from Ikadan, and you're listening to a series of podcasts all about renewable home heating. We'll be covering a range of topics from the perspective of UK homeowners, self-builders, contractors, and housing associations. Our show today is called Switching to Renewable Technologies, and my guest is Ben Fogel, broadcaster, writer, and adventurer. Hello, Ben. Good to see you again. Likewise. How are you? Good, thank you. Good, good. Um, let's pick up from the last podcast episode we did, which uh, was fantastic talking to you then, real big picture stuff. And in that podcast, we were talking about things that um, individuals can do. Um, obviously, we can't, we all can't do everything. We're from different backgrounds, have different amounts of money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but one of the things that you've done um, is moved into renewable heating. Mm. You've now got um, air source heat pump uh, technology in your home, which is in your heating. Um, so how much did you know about that technology before you got into it? Um, and then what, what was what was your thinking behind it? So I knew I I had been thinking for a long time that when it, when I could um, change the heating system in our house, I, I would do so. We had lived in London where it was it, it was harder to do that. But the move out to the country where we inherited uh, an old oil um, uh, burning system seemed to be the right time and the right opportunity. We were doing some works on the house. So we started doing a little bit of research. Um, I chatted to our mutual friend, George, oh, yes. George Clark, uh, uh, about what he had uh, experienced, what he had seen. I obviously had my own experience of traveling around the world, seeing everything from the Icelandic and Scandi models of geothermal, which wasn't really going to happen here. <laughs> but for me, um, heat exchange seemed like a, a, an exciting opportunity that I knew very little about and didn't entirely understand. Uh, so we did a little bit of more research and that's how we we ended up meeting. And if I'm to be honest, I still find it slightly hard to get my head around how it works. But we, we, we looked at the maths, we worked out um, the, the benefits that it would have overall to, to our carbon footprint, weighed up the, the cost. And again, this is what we were talking about in the last podcast. I think green changes have to be entirely economically bespoke to you. So the, you can't say to everyone, which I know a lot of people are saying, get rid of your gas boilers, get rid of those oil tanks. It's, it's just not going to happen for many people, especially now of all time. But if you can, and we were in a fortunate position where we were able to do that, I felt it was important to uh, to, to, to do just that. So we now have an EcoDan system in our house and I have to say, it's it's amazing. And when I say it's amazing, I mean, on every single level. On one hand, we've been able to get rid of that fossil fuel oil tank. Which you had a big just, tank down the side of the house. It was, a hu- the- it was a huge tank that had to be filled up. And it just, it made me feel uneasy. You know, yeah. Someone who considers themselves environmental, it just felt wrong to, to, to continue using fossil fuels in that way. Now, by the way, Yes, of course, our system now still uses fossil fuels because we're still hooked up to the to the, uh, the, the grid as such. We still yep. are using energy. And I'm aware that some of the energy in this country is still using fossil fuels. 
But as you and I know, and I'm sure we can explain a little bit more later, that that is um, entirely variable. And I think usually it's, I, I like to use the statistic, about a third of our energy consumption in this country is from renewables. Do You you, you were saying you've got some Yeah, yeah. Stat. So um, I'll, I have a little app here, which is uh, the UK grid carbon intensity. And it just can anyone gives, get that? Anyone can get that, yeah. Oh, it's, okay. uh, GB, will, you, will you give me the, the Yeah, yeah. The GB details, grid carbon intensity. Yep. It's a little app you can download. It's an instantaneous look at where we're getting our energy right now at any moment in time. Um, I have to put my glasses on, Ben. I'm at that age now. <laughs> so at the moment, um, at this very moment in time, we are getting 30.7% of all of our energy from wind turbines, from offshore hear, wind. And we can hear the wind outside yeah, today. You can, you know, it is a windy day. It's pretty, pretty windy. I mean, that's, that's yep. astonishing. I think we had our first day not long ago without a single, I think it was in the summertime, so that's obviously right. consumption yep. was down, yep. but without, without any um, fossil fuels being Correct. used, which is astonishing. So again, some people will pick up, it sounds like I'm on the attack now, but a lot of people pick up your shortcomings. So the reason I'm highlighting this is that when I say that I drive an electric car or I've got this um, eco-down system and people are like, oh, but you're still using electricity and they're still using big power stations and burning coal and, and gas. But the point is we're not entirely. We're, we're working our way exactly. out of that. And the fact that we're already a third of our energy is coming from wind or, or solar, I find really exciting and deeply empowering. So when I say that our system that we've got in our house, this heat exchange is brilliant, it's one is that I genuinely feel kind of more confident in myself and my ability to be walking walking the talk that I share with, with other people. Um, but also the system itself works incredibly well. It's, it's, it's You have to get your mind away from the traditional Thing. So when we were, when, uh, let, let me be really honest with everyone listening. When we were designing our new house, I had this image of, of beautiful old radiators, you know, that, that, that um, we were going to reclaim from other places. And it was all about aesthetics. And we soon realized that actually, if we were going to be serious about putting in a, a, a sustainable heating system, we couldn't necessarily have the windows that we wanted. We had to have the double glazing. Yeah. We had to have the full insulation and we had to have more intelligent heaters. And so you do have to make a slight compromise. Life is full of compromises of aesthetic over practicality. And we as a family decided that absolutely we would, we would choose functionality, practicality, and environment, uh, uh, environmentality, <laughs> that's a yeah. word, but it's quite good, isn't it? It sounds, sounds okay, over pure aesthetics. And the system that we've put in now, so we've got these um, intelligent eye heaters. Yeah, that's right, the eye life heaters. The, the yeah. eye life I mean, you heaters. opted for those, great. I mean, you don't have to have those. No, no, know, I, yeah. I realize you can go for different things, but we, we, took your, we, yeah. we, we took your advice because we wanted the most efficient, so that, that would use the least energy, so of that, 66% that aren't of the energy that isn't necessarily yeah. coming from renewables. We wanted to make sure that we were limiting yeah. the use of that. So these heaters, they kind of blow a heat out. And, you know, there were all sorts of things we were worried about. You know, Marina, my wife, was worried that it would create a drier air um, that, that yeah. maybe would be a bit uncomfortable, that it would be noisy. But all of these things are not, are not true. And, and what happens is we've noticed is that there's just a tiny, tiny kind of continual um, hot air that comes out of these that just keeps the house at an absolute constant 
temperature. It's like a little and there's trickle no of energy. turning on yep. and off. And we, we, you know, my <laughs> wife and I, we've got very, you know, they're, they're, men and women have very, <laughs> very different bodies. Uh, and my wife, <laughs> in many different ways, obviously, uh, and my, my wife is perpetually cold and I'm perpetually hot. But don't so, forget, you have that jumper. I've got the jumper. Yeah. This is the jumper we were talking about last time, which I very rarely wear. I love it when it gets yeah. cold. By the way, I like to wear a jumper at home because I like the feel of it. So I don't like the home to be too hot. And actually, this is one of my things that I always say to people. Don't put up your heating right up to top volume. Put on a sweater. It's what I say to my Absolutely. children. Can we put up the heating? I'm like, no, let's keep it. I'm a 19. I, I, find, I find people's choice of ambient air temperature in, indoors fascinating. I'm 19 on the dot. I don't like it to be anything more. It can be a bit less, but 19 degrees for me perfect. is perfect. I think, uh, I, I, I don't like to speak for my wife, but she would be <laughs> 21 degrees. And those two degrees, it's amazing what a massive difference that can make to, to temperature. But what I found with this new system is that we, we're able to balance that air temperature really well in quite an old house with lots of little... Uh, different areas where the temperature could fluctuate quite a lot. But because they're intelligent heaters and it's not just one thermostat they're going off, you can change the temperature. You can keep it absolutely spot on. So um, we're super happy with the new system and uh, we don't have nagging children telling us that, that we need to be uh, uh, kind of greener with um, you know the, 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 the different values we hold in our house. And let's be clear, just for our listeners, because um, a lot of people think you can only use a heat pump with a newer build type of house with new fabric. I mean, it's an, it's an old property. That's this is, I, I'll probably get it wrong, but this is like a 100-year-old, it's a, a stone flint house. We're, we're yeah. up on a hill. It's, we, we, we're south-facing and we get a lot of westerly winds that hit the house. Yeah. So it's a cold house. Um, and so far, wh where are we now? We're, we're sort of, um, we're November. Uh, so we, we haven't experienced uh, this new heating model in the height of winter for full clarity, but we have already had some pretty cold days and it's it's been working beautifully so far. And, and I'm yeah. pretty certain that's going to carry on. You've promised me that. <laughs> <laughs> good, good. Yeah. I, love, I love one of the points that you made um, in terms of um, how it works, because um, this is all about education because a lot of people are uh, afraid of new technology and um, the simplest way, I mean, if you want to hear one of the worst explanations of how it works, go back to one of the podcast episodes with me and George. Mm. George asked me to do that. Mm. And I go down mm -hmm. this avenue, which doesn't work, frankly. Yeah. And George just says, we've now lost all our audience. Yeah. But it's a bit like asking people, well, do you know exactly how the engine works mm. in your car? Exactly. And the technology has been around for decades now. It's the same technology as a fridge work. Yeah. Just in reverse. This is how I describe it. So when, when people say, wow, what, what is it? Because, you know, those big EcoDan turbines, I don't know if that's the correct yeah, term. Yeah, I, I like it. the way you call it a turbine. A turbine, it's, yeah, but so. it kind of is. It's, it's a bit... Well, it's like a fan. It, it's a fan. It's a giant fan. And actually, you could... It's a bit like wind turbines, solar panels. You could... Let's be honest. Some people might look at it and go, whoa, that's a big, ugly unit. I actually... I genuinely see this as a beautiful thing because there's immense satisfaction that this is doing... <laughs> a beautiful green job, as in it's heating our house, it's keeping my family warm, but it's also um, more environmentally sustainable than that big old oil tank yeah, that, sure. that we used to have. So actually, I see this as an incredible thing. And when people come to the house, it's there. It's, we're, we're, you know, it, you, let, let's not kind of uh, 
mess about. You, you, it has to be on the side of the house. So it, it's yeah. very much there. But actually, I find great pride in showing people what this is. And they, how does it work? And I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> and I basically just say it's like a reverse fridge. So rather than pumping cold air into a small but- space where you're keeping your butter and your eggs cold are eggs supposed to go in the fridge i'll get i'll get in trouble for you how why do you keep eggs in the fridge anyway for keeping your butter cold rather than doing that it's doing the reverse and it's pump it's taking the heat out of the ambient air and putting it into your house that's, that's pretty good yeah is that, is that yeah, yeah yeah without getting myself yeah. all tangled up that's kind of the description and and everyone's kind of amazed by it and it's the same if you know i if, if you open up a car engine how, I've been driving all my life. Haven't got a clue how the car engine works. I've been flying all my life. I still don't really know how an aeroplane stays in the air. <laughs> <laughs> so the same kind of goes for this. That I don't. I think if you, if if you feel you you're not going to take it until you understand it, you're never going to uptake a new technology like this unless you have a great scientific mind. And for me, it's it's understanding the principles of it. Uh, and trusting the science behind it, and then seeing the absolute data of the green, um, uh, of its green credentials. Yes, and yeah. and for me, that's enough. I think I think we're just getting to the point now in the UK where there's um, there's now um, at least a couple of hundred thousand heat pumps through the UK. Maybe more now. Maybe three. Well, I get a bit excited. Can I just yeah. say when I go to someone's house and I spot one? Yeah, I get yeah. all geeky. <laughs> Oh wow, yeah. What what brand have you got? Oh, very nice. Yeah. And how many have you just got the one and what kind of heaters did he put yeah. in? And I find myself geeking out a little bit, even though I don't fully understand how it works. <laughs> but I like the fact that it's kind of part of the club. Yes. And yeah. you're you're in this together. And I also, you know, we're I uh, you'll have more of the stats on how how many people in the country are doing this, but I feel we're still kind of early adopters. I know more and more are being sold and you you can probably kind of fill everyone in on those exact stats in a second but i feel slightly pioneering that that i'm still in uh a, you know an early uptake of this and i like that i like the fact that uh that i'm you know here chatting to you uh sharing the the kind of the benefits of of doing a system like this if you can afford it and I, and i'm i'm acutely aware something like this isn't cheap there are obviously um grants that you can get right. to, to help you out and, and and it's really important to direct people towards those and that varies i think from d- different regions of, of the country but if you can do it i think it, it's definitely something that i i would recommend yeah as you say there's some um, there's some very generous grants around at the moment for homeowners um we've still got the renewable heat incentive which uh, which pays you um quarterly mm-hmm. there's something called a green homes grant which the government um announced recently this is you know building Britain back again in the COVID crisis. Um, in terms of early adopter, you're absolutely right. I mean, we're we're still at the tip of the iceberg. How many? How many? What's the percent? Well, how many people have a system like? Well, we I have. We think it's around. Looking at history, between two to three hundred thousand systems in the UK. But bear in mind, each year uh, we still sell 1.6 million gas boilers per year. So that's replacing um, existing gas boilers, and obviously yes. gas boilers going to new properties. On top of that, which is still unbelievable, is around 80,000 oil boilers. Now, for me, oil is the easy stuff to get rid of mm-hmm. because you're in uh, remote homes. They're off the gas grid. And, 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 and incidentally, just to, that it, we had no, you know, where, yep. where our home was, no gas. So, so it was oil or we had to come up with 
yeah, an, an another system. Yeah, yeah. Um, but overall, I mean, the Committee for Climate Change are basically saying firmly they have they have firmly hung their hats on heat pumps as a way to uh, decarbonize UK heating, and they're saying figures like by 2030, in order for us to hit net zero. Um, we should have around 1 million heat pumps installed mm-hmm. and beyond and be selling, you know, 100,000, 200,000 heat pumps per annum. So you're absolutely right. We're at the the cusp of it. Um, the great news is anybody who's got a heat pump now, as each year the grid is getting cleaner and cleaner, if we just go back maybe five, 10 years, uh, there's something called the grid emission factor. That's the number of grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour that you use when you turn your lights on or plug a kettle in, et cetera. And that was maybe 10 years ago, around 500 grams per kilowatt hour. I mean, I've just showed the example now when we looked at the grid carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, today, it's 129. Mm-hmm. And each year, that's going to get better and better and better. You imagine all those heat pumps installed, and mm-hmm. um, they're going to get cleaner. As the grid decarbonizes, um, so will the CO2 emissions get cleaner and cleaner. So can, you can probably clear, clean up um, a, a kind of confusion that I sometimes hear from people. So obviously, our home, it was in a rural area. We had outside space where we could put one of these um, uh, fans, turbines, yep. <laughs> as, as I prefer to call it. W- what about in urban, urbanized areas? Is this a very easy technology to put within, uh, let's say, if you live in a, um, a high-rise building or if you live in a, a small uh, semi-detached property? Can you add this very easily? So heat pumps, most manufacturers, I mean, we, we do uh, our starting models, four kilowatts, a yep. tiny little unit, which um, we've done plenty of flat conversions yep. with that unit. So you could sit them on a balcony. Um, you and it can, kind of sits like an air conditioning unit, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, some people see them. They think, oh, yep. it's an air conditioning yep. unit, which is rare yep. in this country. But you can actually mm-hmm. put the, uh, the the heat pump itself and you can pin it to a wall. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also big centralized systems where basically blocks of flats or um, – Housing developments share, share exactly. Yeah. So coming back to one of my themes on the last podcast we did, this is about collaboration. Exactly. So neighbors yeah. clubbing together, presumably the cost comes down the more people that buy into yeah. a single unit or, or, or single large units. Exactly. So back to your question, if you go to an urban environment, um, yes, generally in a domestic environment, it's one unit per household. And the critical thing is, is that the units should be quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got market-leading units in terms of um, sound output. It's really important that no disturbance are made to neighbours. So it generally is, if you're looking at a property, you situate it somewhere around the house and you have to do a planning permission measurement generally. I'm, I'm smiling now because I'll tell you a little trick that I do with mine, which uh, I don't know if you've heard this before, but I get I, I like to exercise. I get really, really hot when oh, I exercise. Okay. If you come back and you stand in front of the outside fan, it's like being in front of an air conditioner because it's obviously got all the all the really cold air yeah, coming yeah, out. Yeah. It's the perfect way to cool down That's after, fantastic. Uh, after working out. Anyway, little, what little what an added bonus. I'm, ju- I'm just going to add that to our marketing. Can I, just, uh, I think you yeah. need to add that in cool. because it's uh, honestly, it's my little place. The children are like, where's daddy? <laughs> and I'm sitting there with my bottle of water cooling down next to, uh, next to the outside fan. Excellent. Excellent. I'm sure my marketing colleagues are making note of that one right now. That's fantastic. Okay, so so let's just move move on slightly on to, so we're looking at, um, so you've changed the way you're heating. Um, we're looking at obviously the uptake of heat pumps in the UK, the journey to net zero. Um, so what else do you think in terms of the heat pump itself? You've, met, you've mentioned PV, obviously, um, in the last episode, because obviously heat pumps are driven by electricity. So if you have PV as well, 
Um, you could add that to your property as well um, mm-hmm. in terms of electric, uh, running ele- electricity into your heat pump. Mm-hmm. That's an obvious choice. So that's net zero. What other thoughts do you have in terms of a house generally? Um, in terms of, I know George is more your architect. You probably have conversations with George mm-hmm. about what you can do to your house. So when you thought about your house with the heat pump, what was your did you do stuff on fabric and the what you mentioned about the windows? What yeah, else well, was- we had to. I mean, the obvious thing was the windows making. It was an old house. Lots of the windows weren't double glazed, so we uh, we we made sure that we double glazed. We made sure we put in uh, full insulation. We we wanted to make sure that it would would work properly, and um, and it was just, I suppose, about trying to make an, a very old house as efficient as pop- possible by keeping that character. I think there's this assumption that if you're going to be, you know, uh, if you're going to be an eco um, warrior with your house, that everything has to be compromised, but actually it, it doesn't. And I think for us, it was just about trying to maximize the efficiency of this new system that, uh, that, that we were, were going to be um, installing into the house. The Mitsubishi Electric Ikadan Air Source Heat Pump switched from fossil fuels like oil, LPG and storage heaters to clean, renewable home heating. Visit ultraquietikadan.co.uk for more information. Ikadan, serious about sustainability. Ben, you're really well-travelled. Um, what are your thoughts on how do you think the average UK homeowner compares to maybe some other countries that you visited in terms of their their knowledge of what they can do for the environment? Is there have there been any outstanding countries where you think they're so far ahead in terms of their culture and getting together, or how are we doing in comparison? What are you, what are your thoughts globally in terms of the UK and the individual? I think I think I think we're actually not bad. But if you go further north, as in head up to Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, that they're on a different level. Now, obviously, geographically, they have geothermal. They've got the, 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 their, the, the very nature of where they are means that actually they've been able to advance their alternative um, energies, their alternative heating for quite a lot longer than we have. They've the, the technology of boring the holes for geothermal is so advanced in those northern countries that the cost comes down and um and obviously it's easier to access than than you have in the UK. But I'd say I'd say we're in a pretty good place. I spend a lot of time in North America. Um, my father's Canadian. I spent a lot of time out in Canada. I think I think America is sort of divided, as we know, uh, and I think there. But that's not to say there aren't a lot of people who care passionately and are, are, are actually pretty advanced when it comes. Especially if you go to the West Coast, if you look at California, there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, uptake of alternative energies. Now that varies, obviously. It, basically, the world is divided into developed and developing nations. Now you could argue that developing nations are the greenest of all because they, you know, many of them have a far lower carbon footprint than most of us anyway because of the the informality of their infrastructure that they don't have massive use of energy they don't have massive homes they don't all drive massive cars so the irony is that although they don't use alternative energies many of them aren't using anything whatsoever so we're we're talking about an entirely off-grid 
culture. Um, the complexity here is obviously as many of these countries start to develop and, and informal settlements become more formal settlements and energy is uh, is um, put in and more formal sewage systems, the, 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 the impact actually will start to rise. So it, it's a complex, it's a really complex world that we're living in now uh, to, to actually be able to analyze that data of who's green, who isn't. The reality is that we in the developed world might be developing these greener uh, energies and these alternative systems, but we have a greater carbon footprint because of the lifestyles that we oh, lead yeah, yeah. and our consumption and consumerism. So it's kind of give and take, really, according to to where you are. Okay. So back to the UK, um, our government um, and our policymakers, we have a vision of the um, electrify or electric economy. We're shifting away from fossil fuels. Um, there's at the moment there's a lot of thrashing around about one size certainly doesn't fit all. We've got um, we've got biogas potentially going into the existing grid, um, raising lowering the um, environmental impact of gas, so biomethane I think they call it. Um, we've got the hydrogen argument. Um, we are um, greening the grid rapidly. So we're, we're very much saying that, you know, one size doesn't fit all. And we're in a period at the moment where um, things are finding their balance in terms of, you know, how these new technologies work. What's your thoughts on that? There's, do you think some, some things are shining up for you to say, oh, that, that one really fits in well there? What's God, again, it's, it's a big, it, <laughs> well, it's I, a big no, question. But, I think, but I, think, I think you're quite right. One size doesn't fit all. And, and I think it's really important that you don't kind of finger wag and say, right, everyone needs to do this. Everyone should be doing that. This is every home should be like this because it's, it's simply not going to happen. But I think there are elements of the green economy that everyone can embrace in one shape or form. I think every, there is something for everyone. Now, yes, some people are saying, I'm not going to go for an electric car because hydrogen is the way forward. But yeah. I think you also have to look at the reality of, are you talking five years, 10 years, 20 years? What, what, what vision are you waiting for? And there's also this sentiment that if you're going to sit out new technology, it's a bit like waiting for the upgrade of the latest smartphone. If you're waiting for the upgrade, by the time the upgrade comes, you're going to then start waiting for the next upgrade and the next. And then it's, this is almost the excuse to just put off making changes. So I think you have to take the information that you currently have. Makes, it's, it's like a complex equation, isn't it? Take the information that you have, do your research, look at your economic um, situation, look at government grants, and, and combine all of those together and make that commitment. So whether it's the heating system you're going to install in your house, whether it is your change of transport culture, um, are you going to change? You know, I tried to uh, have a kind of rule that I would never do internal flights in the UK as an example. This is just a little example. So my carbon footprint for flying is abnormally high because there's no way that I can get to Kenya to make a, a show about wildlife without going out there. It's it's an inconvenient truth uh, that, that my carbon footprint is high. So I made a commitment that I would do no internal flights in the UK. I would only travel by train. But Suddenly, um, uh, COVID hits, lockdown happens, and I'm restricted with the amount of time that I can spend in different places. Train travel has changed. So I'm now suddenly, I'm going to take a flight to Glasgow or to Aberdeen uh, in two days' time, which breaks, I'm already breaking my promise and my commitment. 
And it would be very easy for me to dis- decide, okay, well, do you know what? I can't do this green thing. I've got to change the whole thing. But what I will do is I'll try to make up for that somewhere else along the line. And I think that's what we all need to do with our lives is to not just throw the baby out with the bathwater, stick. And if you if, if you have to make compromises, which we will have to do, try to mitigate or make up for that in another area. Does that make sense? Yes, it's it does, kind of yeah. a sounds a little bit convoluted and, and complex, that answer. Not complex, just uh, confused. But I am. And I, I, I you know, I, I, I hope that I, the sentiments that are coming out of my mouth kind of mirror quite what a lot of people experience, just confusion and uncertainty about what we should and shouldn't be doing. Because there is a lot of money at stake when you're looking at changing, you know, if you, a new boiler. I think what, the, the, I, a lot of people will experience exactly what we had when we got this new home. We could have stuck and gone with, we could have just stuck with the old oil system, stuck with it and gone with something that had worked. Or we we had the opportunity to change it and go with the unknown uh, and the assurance of, you know, yourself that this new system would work. And sometimes you just have to trust other people. And you yeah. have to yeah. trust the unknown. And again, it comes back to this whole thing that we are creatures of habit. For someone who spends eight months of the year sleeping in a different bed almost every night, I really like my own bed. I really like consistency. I like being able to make my cup of coffee in my coffee cup in the morning. But that's not what happens uh, for most of my life. So uh, I just have learned to adapt and to change and to trust others. And, and I think that's what you have to do when it comes to alternative um, heating, alternative energy, alternative transport. Big question now, Ben. Um, so you are probably one of the most well-traveled persons in terms of seeing globally what's going on. Um, how critical do you think the current situation is in terms of, you know, we've got David Attenborough talking about the next potential mass extinction on planet Earth. Um, I was a little bit, um, press is the wrong word, but when I saw his last episode, he talked about, you know, losing a million species. Um, and even he realizes, even back when he started, that the change was already happening. So just get your views on where we are now. How critical a place do you think we are in globally now? What's your views? Well, you'd be burying your head if you didn't accept that things are changing. We're losing species, the 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 increased heating, the increased cooling is happening everywhere. I've, I see it firsthand. Every single community, every person I go to spend time with has seen profound changes. Too much rain, too little rain, too much heat where it shouldn't be, too much cold where it shouldn't be. These things are changing. Less bird life, less insects. So we are heading into the abyss of the unknown. And I feel absolutely certain that in 30 years, what we're doing to the environment will be what smoking was in aeroplanes and restaurants years ago that our children will be like, I can (laughs) not believe we did all of that and that we just carried on because it was convenient. It was economically the cheapest way to to do things. So we have to start making some changes. There's absolutely no doubt about that in my mind, but it will take a global mind shift. And I'm also not one that just believe, you know, a lot of people are, are kind of campaigning that the government has to has to be the one to make those change. If we just wait for the government to to make those 
um, laws, nothing is going to happen. We people have to start making our own shifts because the government listen, industry will listen, um, uh, companies will start listening to what we want or don't want, and I think we have to be we have to be the 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 change that we want it comes back yeah. to that whole thing we can't just wait it's it's too convenient to assume oh no no i'm not going to do it until the prime minister makes it compulsory well that's that's not how life works I, I don't believe in the nanny state i don't believe in always deferring to others sometimes you have to just get up and be counted and um someone like greta who for some reason can be highly divisive only because she speaks a truth that a lot of people don't. It's, un- it's, it's uncomfortable for a lot of people. It's, it's uncom- it, it is an uncomfortable truth because the reality is it's going to have an economic impact. You know, yes. it, it that where we are right now is partly down to our consumer habits, and we want to have our cake and eat it, but you can't. Yes. So I heard you've got to be careful what you read in the news. There's so much fake news about um, that. Currently, the global population needs at this moment in time one and a half planets. Mm-hmm. The way we're consuming at the moment does that sound about right? So I, I think yeah. so. Again, I've heard, I've even heard two, two, two and a half planets. But I, think, I, yeah. I would imagine that sounds about right. Yeah. And you know, and we're all culpable. Again, I, I, I can't. Re- I, I think a lot of people, if they talk about this, a look at uh, it can sound like you're preaching and you're trying to to um show everyone how brilliant you are i'm really i'm far from perfect and and i'm i have a perpetual green guilt around what i do or don't do and and i don't think i do enough and it's my goal i've set myself my own targets to start improving on that and we're slowly working our way through right from you know putting it you know changing the heating system in our house going electric when it comes to our car choices, reducing our overseas holidays. You know, all these things are um, on our list, but you can't do it all in one day. I was to, uh, I, I was working in New Zealand with a, I was making my series New Lives in the Wild with a family of Extinction Rebellion activists. And they had this really interesting kind of philosophy, which lots of your listeners may have heard before, but it's the two bridges approach. Now, there are some environmentalists who look at our, let's look at, it's the bridge, it's the bridge of infrastructure. They look at our bridge of infrastructure and that's our use of fossil fuels and uh, combustion engines and aeroplanes. And they say, we just have to blow that bridge up, just blow it up and start again and go back to kind of the dark ages. Now, I don't subscribe to that, but what we need to do is have the two bridges approach. So we've still, we've got this bridge, which is really, really vulnerable, and it's about to collapse anyway under the weight of what we've done. Let's start building a beautiful new bridge. I know, I don't know what we're going to build it from. Uh, it, it, the, mater- the material <laughs> is kind of irrelevant, but somehow we have to build another bridge across that river because otherwise we're all going to be swimming. And it's you know, if, if we blow up that one bridge that we've got, the impact that's going to have is immeasurable. So let's start building this other bridge. And once we have built this beautiful new sustainable bridge, then let's let's blow up that existing bridge. But we can start reducing the traffic on that bridge. Okay. So so w- what it is is we we the, the new one is under construction. Don't worry, hold hold fire. Let's make some sacrifices while we're building it. Let's all hold back. Let's hold our breath a little bit longer, and let's just try to reduce the weight on that bridge that is is incredibly fragile. And then once we are finally co- 
once we are happy that we have this nice new green model in place, then let's get rid of the old bridge. And I think if you have this mentality, it's this whole notion that there's this society loves to pick people up for their shortcomings. You, you hear me kind of apologizing every five minutes saying, I'm not green enough. I'm not green enough. Because I know you're more likely to be picked up on your shortcomings than applauded for your green Absolutely. Uh, uptake. Uh, so rather than this idea that this insistence that anyone like me or Attenborough or anyone who says, who, who highlights the inconvenient truth that the planet is is um, at tipping point, rather than insisting that we make a hundred percent change to our lives, which is so it's almost impossible to do overnight. I would prefer that we try to encourage one hundred percent of this nation to make a ten percent change. So whatever that is, but shift it on its back. So rather than the ten percent of of us who kind of you know who, who kind of bang the drum, rather than insisting those ten percent make a hundred percent change. Let's try and encourage that 100% of us just make a 10% change. And don't feel that that won't make, make enough. I, I think I read a statistic that during lockdown one, there was a 10% reduction in overall emissions. And we all saw it. We, yeah. Every single person I've spoken to noticed more, more insect life, more bird song, was seeing more things. And that was just a 10% change in, uh, in, in the amount of... Um, in the impact that we were having on the planet. Now I may that that statistic I may have got wrong so apologies if that isn't right but I'm using it more maybe as a metaphor for the fact that we can make a, a good positive change and and we need to. Ben that's been amazing. Uh quite a journey you've taken us through there and lots to think about. Uh, my takeaway from there is just how you finish there in terms of instead of a few of us doing a lot a lot of us just doing a little and just keep doing that. Um, we are definitely at um, a critical point in our lives without a shadow of a doubt. And I think the, the takeaway is we can all make a difference. Um, it's been an absolute delight having you in um, and um, good luck with the rest of the year and your travels and uh, hopefully see you again. Thank you so much, Max. Yeah, thank you, Ben. And thank you all for listening. Check out the other episodes in this series and please share, subscribe, rate and review the Ecodan Serious About Sustainability podcast. Until next time, goodbye.